it's interesting, um, being a senior pastor, you have, I call them cringe moments where you make a decision and afterwards you just kind of cringe, you know, when you think about it. But our decision with Paul and, and Peggy and their family to send them forth here has been just a decision of just wonderful joy and celebration for us. And our church just wants to bring you their welcome, their love. Um, our church loves you guys. We, we just feel, feel privileged to be partnering uh, in the gospel with you. And we are just, we're just amazed and astounded to see all that God uh, has done, is doing, is going to do in and through this church. Even as I was driving up to the church and I see your church, the church, the new building you're in, it just puts a big smile on my face, you know, to see how good God is being to King of Grace Church. So, guys, but the, the greatest blessing are really the people who inhabit this building because you are the church. And so we're just overjoyed. So thanks for having the privilege to kind of come here and address you guys. Uh, today I want to speak about thirsty for God. And I want you to know something. We're going to take a, it's, I call it a scripture blitz. So we're going to blitz through some scripture. And, uh, but the main passage, and I want to tell you now because you may not, you might say, what was the main passage? So I want to just kind of tell it to you right now. It's John 7, 37 to 39. So if you can, just turn there. And I'll be repeating this scripture when, it, when I get to it. But I want to read it out just so we can, it registers with us a little bit more. It says, on the last day of the feast, this is the Feast of Tabernacles, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Let's pray. Father, again, I just thank you the great privilege of addressing these fine folks. Lord, I thank you for the amazing grace that you have poured out upon this church. Thank you for the amazing work that you are doing. Father, I pray that, that uh, this message would, would bless and edify these fine folks. Lord, I pray that you would anoint my lips to speak. I pray you would anoint our ears to hear, our eyes to see and our hearts to open up and apply your word. So, Father, we ask you to come, Holy Spirit. Pour forth your Spirit upon this message and do the work that only you can do in the hearts of men and women here. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Also, as a preacher, I like to tell you what my main point is ahead of time. So that you, when you ask yourself, now, what was the main point? Here's the main point. As those who have been given the Holy Spirit, as those who have been given the Holy Spirit, let us ever be a thirsty for God people. Let us ever be a thirsty for God people. So as those who have been given the Holy Spirit, let us ever be a thirsty for God people. And Paul is going to give, he's going to call some people at random about Wednesday. 
and he's going to ask you the question, now, what was the main point? And if you get it right, he's going to send you $100. So that's just part of the motivation. In 1996, a young Marine corporal named Joey Mora, he was standing on a platform of an aircraft carrier, not wearing a life vest, patrolling the Iranian Sea. Incredibly, he fell overboard off the aircraft carrier. I can't imagine the guy even surviving the fall. But he falls off, and his absence was not known for 36 hours. Search and rescue mission began, but it was given up after another 24 hours. Because the, the basic premise was no one could survive in the sea without even a life jacket after 60 hours. So can you imagine being his parents and you, you receive a, a, a telegram that says he was missing and presumed dead. Now, if you ever heard a truth is stranger than fiction story, this is it. Actually, 72 hours after he had fallen from the aircraft carrier, he was actually treading water in his sleep. He had made a makeshift flotation device out of, out of pants. He actually tied the pants together, tried to blow air in the pants, and then use them as kind of a buoy. He was taught that in, in, in some kind of emergency training. So here in the Iranian Sea, a fishing boat with four Pakistani fishermen happened to come across him. The probability of that is finding a needle in a haystack is, is no problem next to doing that. So they pull him from the water. His tongue was dry and cracked. He was delirious. His throat was parched. Two years later, he has a conversation with Stone Phillips on NBC Dateline. And he recounted this unbelievable story of his survival. He said it was God who kept him struggling to survive. It was God who kept him. So he gave the glory to God. He said the one thought that took over his body and pounded in his brain was just one word. Water. That was all he could think about was water. He was so parched, so, so thirsty. It was the only thing. It was the exclusion of all else. Water. In fact, when you think about it, one of the tortures of hell, remember Lazarus and the rich man, he calls out the rich man who is in hell. He says, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus just to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue. For I am in anguish in this flame. Now, if it had been me, I thought, get me out of the flame. I can't imagine anything more painful than flame. But at least what he says is, just, just a drop. Just a drop. So, we probably know what it's like a little bit to be thirsty, right? Not dying of thirst. But we do know a little bit about the thirst of the body. We know God speaks of another thirst. It's the thirst of of the soul. The soul thirsts. It thirsts. So it has something to say to us about the thirst. The Bible has something to say to us about the thirst of the soul. And so I think even in your, your notes you have this. I don't know if we're going to have it over in the overheads, but you have this. I want to direct your attention to three pictures. 
The first is the day of Jeremiah, or Jeremiah's day. That's picture number one. Picture number two is Jesus' day, and picture number three is the last days. So I'm just going to jump in. Jeremiah's day. As you know, God was about to send the nation into exile as a punishment, as a strong discipline, because they had forsaken him. And here's, here's, you have to hear God's heart. It says, the word of the Lord came to me saying, go and proclaim in the hearing of Jerusalem. Thus says the Lord, I remember your devotion, your love as a bride, how you followed me in the wilderness and a land not sown. Then we read on. What wrong did your fathers find in me that they went far from me and went after worthlessness and became worthless? Can you hear God's heart in that? But my people, they've changed the glory. They've changed their glory for that which does not profit. Then he goes on to say, Be appalled, O heavens, at this. Be shocked. Be utterly desolate, declares the Lord. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me. The fountain of living waters. And hewed out cisterns for themselves. Broken cisterns that can hold no water. I want you to note three things about this passage. First, I want you to note the devotion of their youth. Your love as a bride. The days of the bride. The days of infatuation with your spouse. The days that just love was exploding out of your hearts. The day when you were first saved. Oh, how we love Jesus. He's speaking about that, about about that devotion they had. The devotion of your youth. You love as a bride. You followed me in the wilderness in a land not sown. You know, remember how wives would just follow their husbands no matter where they would go. They were just so confident in their husbands that he would take them in the right direction. They were so excited to be on a journey with him. And then, like most husbands, we kind of make our mistakes and you kind of delay the wife step back and go, I don't know about this. But with God, who is all knowledgeable, all powerful, you know, where he goes, we follow and we prosper. And so we begin to see in here that he was saying, you would follow me in the wilderness. In other words, you would follow me by faith. You were anxious and, and zealous and passionate and hope-filled and faith-filled. And then he says, but you've forsaken me. And we kind of think that God is some emotionless God. That's okay, they've forsaken me. I've got to kind of bring a little discipline and get them back. Look at how he describes this, how he views what they did. He says, be appalled, O heavens, O heavenly hosts, O angels who are looking to be appalled. Be shocked. Be utterly desolate, says the Lord. And utterly desolate means be exceedingly aghast. I don't know if you've ever seen something. As you look at it, it's just you're aghast. Like, I I can't watch pictures about the Holocaust. I don't like to see pictures of the Holocaust, of seeing man's inhumanity to man and what can be done 
It leaves me aghast. It's, it, it's, it's incomprehensible. It's like, I don't want to look at it. So we have to understand when a person forsakes God, he will look around at his angels and say, look, sin, be appalled, be shocked, be utterly desolate. Why? Because they have lost their thirst for God. It says, your fathers, they went far away from me. In Jeremiah it says, my people have changed their glory for that which does not profit. You know, that desire to see God glorified, that desire to bask in the glory of God, wasn't even in their rearview mirror. And he says, you have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters. And it's interesting, when I say thirst for God, God is the fountain. He's the fountainhead. He's the source. As we draw near to God, God draws near to us. The God of the universe, the God of all creation, the transcendent God becomes imminent. And when we connect with Him, living waters burst forth. So, he remembers the devotion of their youth. And then he sees that they had lost their thirst for him, the fountain of living waters, and then they began to go after worthless things to quench their thirst with their little broken cisterns that could hold no water. What a tragic picture. It says they, they went after worthlessness, they became worthless. I guess you, you become what you pursue. They went after worthlessness, became worthless. They hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Now you would think God would just leave them there, right? Say, that's it, I'm done with you guys. I've had my fill of you. I'm the God of the universe, and you ha- I have chosen you to be my people, and you have forsaken me. But God... In Ezekiel, he says this amazing thing. He talks to this nation who is in exile now. He says, listen, I will sprinkle clean water on you. You shall be clean from all your uncleanliness. And from all your idols I will cleanse you. I will give you a new heart. I will put a new spirit within you. I remove the heart of stone from you, from your flesh, and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you. He says, let me be perfectly clear. I'm going to put my Holy Spirit within you. Speaking about the miracle of regeneration. And cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. He says, you shall dwell in the land that I gave your fathers and you shall be my people and I will be your God. So first he says, look, I'm going to put my spirit within you. Then you go on to hear Joel. And Joel says, It shall come to pass afterwards that I will pour out my spirit in all flesh. Your sons and daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit. So in Ezekiel, he says, I'm going to put my spirit in you, but I'm not stopping there. I'm going to pour out my spirit on you. Can you imagine? And then 
Silence. For hundreds of years. Hundreds of years, silence. Lord, did you really mean this? Lord, have you abandoned us? Have you changed your mind? Can you imagine that silence? And the people go about their business. And they fall, they fall into rituals. You know, they begin to praise God with their lips, but their hearts drift far from Him. So now we come. That was Jeremiah's day, and in between Jeremiah's day, now Jesus' day. This is the tabernacle, the Feast of the Tabernacles, a seven-day-long feast. It was, it was one of the three great feasts. One of the things that the, that the Israelites loved was to celebrate feasts. They celebrate Passover, they celebrated Pentecost, the Feast of Pentecost, and the Feast of Tabernacles. And I love how they said it was a feast. Time for great celebration. A time for the nation to gather together and declare the praise and wonders of their God. Well, here we go at this Passover. I mean, at, this, at the Tabernacles. During the feast, the high priest would go to the pool of Siloam. He'd take a golden pitcher. He'd dip it into that pool, and he'd carry it back to the temple. There he would pour out the water on the altar of sacrifice. Pour the water out. At that moment, the Levites would blow their trumpets, and the great crowd would cry out from Isaiah 12:3, With joy you will draw waters from the well of salvation. With joy you will draw waters from the well of salvation. And then saying that, the people would literally burst out leaping and dancing and shouting and singing and great hallelujahs would fill the air. This is the last day of the feast. These people are celebrating. What are they celebrating? They may not know, but they are celebrating that, that one day with joy they were going to draw water from the wells of salvation. There's that whole thing of the wells, the water. Right at the climax of this, Jesus stands up. Can you imagine? And, and if you, you have to read the rest of Luke 7 to appreciate the context he was in. There were people that wanted to kill him, people that wanted to catch him in the act. There were people who were like believing in him. I mean, you're, you're talking about a setting where you'd probably say, Jesus, kind of tone it down. Don't draw attention to yourself. But it's at this great climax and people are hooping and hollering. He stands up and he says, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the Scriptures have said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. With joy we will draw from the wells of salvation. I'm the well. Can you imagine... Can you imagine how some people were filled with hope and some people were filled with hate? So all of a sudden we see. And and what was he talking about? We don't have to guess. I love this. We don't have to guess what he's talking about. What does it mean, the living water? Well, I'll tell you what it means. Now this he said about the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, whom those who believed in him were yet to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. I will put my spirit in you. I will pour out my spirit upon you. It's ringing. These prophecies are ringing. Can you imagine? Again, I just, I just can't imagine this. So then we see Jesus 
crucified. Jesus buried. Jesus raised. Jesus commissioning his disciples to go forth. Jesus promising the baptism in the Holy Spirit, but you will be baptized in the Holy Spirit. But Jesus says, wait. The apostles obey. They wait. They wait. And they don't wait just kind of doing other things. They wait in prayer. They kind of hole up in in, in the upper room and they start to pray, crying out for God to, to pour out His Spirit upon them. And then Pentecost comes. And the Spirit comes in power like the blowing, rushing of a blowing violent wind and tongues of fire and men speaking in tongues, the apostles speaking, and people hearing in their own language and, and people being bewildered and some saying, wow, they're declaring the praises of God in their own in my, in a language, my own language, and some well, they're just drunk. Then Peter stands up and he says, wait a minute. Let me tell you what's going on right now. These men are not drunk as you suppose. Look at the time of day it is. Here's what he says, but he says, this, what is happening here at Pentecost, is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. In the last days it shall be, God declares, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. When Pentecost came, the last days became. When did the last days start? At Pentecost. We are in the last days. We can lay hold of these promises. We are part of the vision that Joel had. Now, what does it mean? I love what Rain Grudem says. The disciples received on the day of Pentecost a more powerful new covenant experience of the Holy Spirit working in their lives. They receive much greater power for the living the Christian life and for carrying out the Christian ministry. The new covenant power gave the disciples more effectiveness in their witnessing and their ministry, much greater power for victory over the influence of sin in the lives of all believers, and power for victory over Satan and demonic forces that would attack believers. This new covenant power of the Holy Spirit also resulted in a wide and hitherto unknown distribution of the gifts of the Holy Spirit for ministry to all believers. Man, just read that later again. Because it's like power over sin, power over Satan, power for effective witness. And not just some kind of enhanced power, but the power of God the Holy Spirit Himself. What an amazing, can you imagine, can you imagine as they were laying hold of, of, of that great promise, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And I love what Gordon Fee says. Again, a little bit shorter version. He says, the spirit is the dynamically engaged presence of God, revealing himself in wondrously ordinary and extraordinary ways to the believing members of the empowered church. That's you. That's me. We're the believing members of the empowered church. And I love the way he says it. There are ordinary and extraordinary, but they're both wondrous. You follow that? You know, we are, the Holy Spirit is at work even now. 
He's at work in wondrously ordinary ways that we don't even take for granted. But he also works in wondrously extraordinary ways. Let us keep that in mind that as, as new covenant people who, who have been given the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit is at work in us. The unstoppable power is at work in us and for us and through us. Now, I want you to note three things. Here the people of God have received the promised Holy Spirit. He's indwelling in them. He's being poured out upon them. You would think, all our problems are solved. That's it. In fact, you look at Acts 2, 42 to 47. It says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Do you picture not one sentence, a thirsty for God people? Were these people thirsty for God? They devoted themselves. Oh, the apostles are teaching? I'm there. Oh, the, the, there's fellowship going on? I'm there. Oh, we're going to be breaking bread together? I'm there. Oh, the church is having a prayer meeting? I'm there. That's what devotion is. They weren't dabbling in his stuff. They were devoted. And then, and then he says, and then look at the overflow. The overflow as they were just drinking deeply from the wells of living water. Awe came upon every soul. Many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. Look at that overflow of generosity. And they were all selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Look at the compassion overflowing from them. Day by day, attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes. They received their foods with glad and generous hearts, praising God, having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. In short, this was a picture of a thirsty for God church. Now, obviously, it was, in a, it was a picture of a church also in revival. And I, I, won't, I don't... We have become very dependent on technology, haven't we? That's okay. God gave it to us. It means grace. Okay, anyway, back to the... Meanwhile, back at the ranch. So we begin to see... Something amazing happened. Actually, our movement, Sovereign Grace movement, sprang out of a group of young, immature men and women, young guys, young gals, who said, we want this. We want this. We want to be a New Testament church. Now, had we looked at the rest of the chapters and saw what else was going on in the New Testament church, you know, CJ said, this is the brochure. You know, and, and, and the rest of it's the diary because they had problems, right? Even in Acts, you go a few chapters, problems start to happen. But the point is, we, we saw a thirsty for God church. But then, not that many years later, we go into the book of Revelation. And then we see something tragic happening to some of the churches, to the church at Ephesus. 
we, we see that though they had been given the Spirit of God, some had lost their thirst for God, the fountain of living waters. Some were repeating the same things that, that the church, the, the, the Old Testament, Israelites in the days of Jeremiah. Listen to what it says. He says, I have this against you. Remember, this church was looking pretty good, right? If you'd have walked into that church, it was a pretty sharp church because he was commending them for certain things. But he stops and he says, let me, let me talk about the main thing. He says, I have this against you. Can you imagine God coming into your room saying, I have this against you. You have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. You know, maybe the Ephesians kind of going, well, we kind of have these good works over here, kind of outbalance, you know, kind of balances things out. Yeah, we're not as devoted to God as we used to be, but we have all this good stuff going on. Jesus said, <clears throat> don't even go there. Remember what God said, be appalled, be shocked, be utter, utterly desolate. They were forsaking their first love. You see? And then, what else happened? That was some of the churches, not all of them, some of them. And then notice that, although they've been given the Spirit, some went after worthless things to quench their thirst. Broken cisterns that, that can hold no water. Again, the Laodicean church. God says, Christ says, I know your works. You're neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot, but because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. So he was saying, look, you guys, and your affections toward me, you become lukewarm. Listen, a marriage begins to disintegrate when the affections of the spouses toward each other begins to go from hot to lukewarm. And you become most susceptible at that point to looking for something hot someplace else. We're talking about we are the bride of Christ. We are the betrothed of Christ. And he's saying, you know what? That first love you have for me, it's, it's going from hot to lukewarm. And it's nauseating me. And not only that, you've come to the place where you're saying this. You're viewing yourself this way. I am rich. I've prospered. I need nothing. Not realizing that you're wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. You see, as you become lukewarm, you don't really realize you're becoming lukewarm. And pretty soon you begin to deceive yourself. You begin to think, hey, I'm pretty much together. I'm pretty... It's one of the biggest dangers of spiritual maturity. I don't need to go back. I don't need to be in the Word as much. I kind of know the Word. Been there, done that. Ah, Paul's preaching it again. I've heard it before. Let me, uh, what time is it? I hope he gets ready. You know. You begin to see that you become, I'm rich, I've prospered, I need nothing. No, no, no. Jesus says, no, here's, here's the true picture. You're, you're wretched, you're pitiable, you're poor, blind, and naked. Oh, brothers, when we start deceiving ourselves, 
as to what our true spiritual condition is. And it's very easy to do that. God help us. So it's like we don't want to go there, do we? See, we do not want to go there. And we have to understand that even though we have been given the Spirit of God, we can lose our first love. We can become lukewarm in our affections toward God. And we're now headed in a place that's going to lead to God's strong discipline. A discipline not to punish us, but out of a love for us. You know, I don't know about you, but I don't want to be as one finishing as though through the flames. I want to be one that is built with gold and silver. Now, you might say, well, Jim, what does a thirsty for God church look like? Well, Acts 2, 42, 47 is the best biblical example. What does a thirsty for God person look like? I think if you go to the Psalms of David, you begin to see a thirsty for God person, and you also see what happened when David started losing his thirst for God. And by the way, it happened in a season of prosperity. So, you know, seasons of adversity push you into God. But seasons of prosperity, you can become distracted with the things that are prospering you. But I remember the church of my youth. I was saved in 1979. It was on the tail end of the charismatic renewal. I wasn't part of the charismatic renewal. I was in what I would call the afterglow of the charismatic renewal. Um, I don't know if any of you guys were in the charismatic renewal. Do you have any memories of that? You know, it's... It was amazing. And here's what the church looked like back then. This is when I was age 32. I'm 64 now. Here's what age 32. People were at everything. From Sunday morning to weekly care group to getting together for fellowship, house to house, to Sunday night Bible studies, whatever else the church was doing. Church was doing it. I'm there. I'm there. Why? Because I want all that God has for me. What was the big question? What's God been speaking to you? What's God doing in your life? It wasn't, hey, how are the ravens doing? Or, hey, how's this? How's that? I mean, those questions would be asked. I don't want to create a false impression. But the first question would be spiritual. How you doing? What's God saying? You see, what was happening was they were sharing the overflow of their times with God. You see what I'm saying? The spiritual disciplines were alive and well. The personal spiritual disciplines and the corporate ones. So there was an overflow. An overflow of their times with God and His Word and worship and prayer. A wondrous overflow. I lived in a place called K Court. It was a, it was a little court that had townhouses around it. We had families moving at, moving from elsewhere, moving on to K Court. So they could be around one another. So their kids could fellowship with other believers. So we could literally go from house to house and not have to even drive a car. Now, I'm not saying, you know, well, I'll, I'll clarify this in a sec. They, moved, they sold their house to move closer to the church. Some took out thousands of dollars out of their life savings. These weren't rich folks. So they could give to, to, the, to the building fund. Or to give to whoever or to whatever. You know, that, oh, we've got to give, let's give. Glad and generous hearts. Remember that? Many of them, were many of them young with no kids? Oh, yeah. 
Was there a certain spiritual immaturity and a naive idealism about many of them? You betcha. Did they exhibit at times a youthful pride in themselves? Oh, yeah. Did they have their, fo- their faults, flaws, and foibles? You betcha. This was not a perfect group. But they had this amazing thirst for God. They were eager to hear God's Word, notebooks in hand. Their mouths were quick to share about all they were learning from God. Their hearts wanted to live their lives in wholehearted devotion to Christ. Their eyes gleamed with passion, with zeal, with vision for God. And that thirst for God was infectious. I remember, I remember my first wake-up call. I am walking into a meeting, and I'm walking into a meeting with a bunch of Jesus freaks. I come from a Roman Catholic Church background. I walk into this place. I thought I was walking to the back of the auditorium. I'm walking into the front of the auditorium. I'm looking around, and there's this band over here with drums and, huh? Where's the organ? I'm looking at this, and I'm also noticing the people didn't drop their gaze down on us coming into the front of the meeting late. Their eyes were fixated. Their hands were raised. Their faces were joyful. And I looked over and I saw a guy who looked to me like a blonde Abraham Lincoln. I saw this look on his face. It was radiating joy. And I said, I don't even know what this guy's got. But what he's got, that's what I'm looking for. He was just a man who was quenching his thirst for God and worship. It was infectious. Now, I I want you to make sure you understand something. I'm I'm not longing to live in the past. Because I remember the dark side. You know what I mean? You know, I remember the goofy stuff too. But I want you to hear the good side. I don't want to live in the past. I want to build upon the past. I want to be grateful for the past because it's God's past that helped build me to, to what I'm about. But, you know, our church and your church is a far better place than our church was back then. Our church is much more spiritually mature. The future looks bright. That's what I told my folks. Look, I'm not, I don't want to go back. I just want to build on the past. And I want to make sure of one thing. Church, we never lose our thirst for God. Never lose our thirst for God. Because how sad. See, I saw it. I saw these guys that had, that had that gleam in their eyes and that fire in their bellies. And I saw some of these guys become disillusioned in their faith. Literally walk away from it. There were guys I'd be weeping over because they would leave their wives for another woman. Cisterns that can hold no water. There was a woman, very dear friend of mine. She left her husband. She left her children, totally abandoned them to go to be with someone that she had met on the Internet. God, grieving for her. I look and I say, Lord. But you know, those are the big stories. Even the great casualties as great are these kind of stories. How sad to see those who were once so hungry for God. They lose the fire in their belly. They lose the gleam in their eye. How sad to see them wallowing in long-term, low-grade discontent. That's the definition of lukewarmness. It's a a long-term, low-grade discontent. 
discontent. It's finding little or no joy in Christ. Whose tongues have turned from, from praise and optimism and thankfulness to murmuring and grumbling and complaining. Whose first instinct is to criticize. Whose last instinct is to edify. Those who have drifted from a, from a blazing faith to a lukewarm faith. Those who are lose, losing or have lost their zeal, their vision, whose affections have become lukewarm toward God. I look at them and say, God help me, because I know I could go that way. I'm not above that. We're not above that. Satan's always trying to distract us. Oh, go fill your cistern over here. Oh, let's get busy doing this. No, let's keep the main thing the main thing. People who are no longer pressing onward and upward, they've plateaued. They've increasingly become spectators, not participants, critics, not contributors, complainers, not co-laborers. They've all but lost their first love for God. They're languishing in their spiritual slothfulness, but they're not lifting one finger to do anything about it. They pay lip service to God, but their hearts are far from Him. They dwell in a dry place, trying to fill their little broken cisterns with something other than the life-giving, restoring streams of living water. God, help us to not be there, right? Because what is a church that's law, that's, what is a thirsty for God church? It's a church that's filled with a lot of thirsty for God people, right? What's a lukewarm church? Is a church that's beginning filled with a lot of lukewarm people? What, what, what's, a, what's a lost your first love church? Is a filled, church filled with a lot of people who've lost their first love? So let's, let's just take this and let's look at it and say, listen, Lord, we understand if we're not careful to stay thirsty for you, we will go away from you. Our hearts will drift from you. Help us, Lord, to stay close. So I want to close with this. What about you? What about me? Where are you? What, first, what are you thirsty for? What do you find yourself thirsty for? And if you can answer that in any other thing other than thirsty for God, it's time to do what Jesus said to the Ephesian church. Repent. Remember, repent, return to what you did at first. Return to your first love. And then how thirsty are you? You know, that's one of the dangers. The dangers of spiritual maturity is that you can literally lose your thirst for God. Which means you're neglecting, you're lacking the most important part of spiritual maturity. And so it's like, Lord, I'm going to close right now in prayer. I want you to remember that thing. Are you thirsty? If you're not thirsty for God, then say, God, help me. I'm going to be honest to God. Help me, God. I have, I have begun to be thirsty for other things. But today, I confess this sin, this appalling, shocking sin. And by your grace, I repent and I'm returning to you my first love, my best love, my true love. 
And Lord, let's face it, the way you understand that is being engaged in the spiritual disciplines, drawing near to God in prayer and through the Word, personally, corporately. Worship. That's how we keep drinking from those wells of living water. So Lord, I help you. Lord, help us. Help us to be a church filled with people who are thirsty for you, who are devoted to pursuing you and all that you have here for us, your people. And Lord, out of the overflow of that pursuit, help us move forward together in the power of your Holy Spirit. Help us to celebrate you, Lord and to celebrate Your Gospel. Help us to live our lives worthy of Your Gospel. Help us to proclaim Your Gospel, and help us to build Your church firmly and faithfully upon Your Gospel and Your Word for Your glory. Lord, we want to die with the gleam in our eye and the fire in our bellies. And we want to hear You say to us on that day, Well done. Well done, good and faithful servant. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Thank you, guys. If the band could come up and we'll close and and worship. Thank you, Jim, for serving us with preaching God's word and calling us to thirst for him and be satisfied. And I'm sure that each and every one of us, as we listened, uh, realized that uh, at times we don't thirst as we should. And the Lord's calling us to to come to him and to thirst. And and, uh, Jim, you did such a great job of painting the picture of Jesus at that feast. And, And if you're in that place of not thirsting and recognizing you're not thirsting, I think the answer is what we see in John 7, that Jesus himself stood up stood up at that feast and proclaimed himself as the answer. He is the one who, who gives us that thirst and satisfies that thirst. So he stood up and said, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Jesus Christ is the one whom we turn to in our struggle, in our recognition that we don't thirst like we should. And when we come to him, when we see him in his glory, he, he, he stirs that thirst and then satisfies that thirst. So if you this morning recognize that you need to thirst, come to the one who stood up at that feast and stands up here now in our midst. It says, come to me, find your thirst satisfied. So let's, uh, let's stand and come to Jesus right now as we worship.